What do you say to that? Let's put your hands together. So our hope is not found in Congress or the halls of Congress or in security or whatever the case. Our hope is found in one person. It's Jesus Christ. Let me share with you how valuable you are. The only, I use this term loosely, institution. We're not an institution per se. We are an organism, not an organization. The church is alive and well. But the only standard that stands against anarchy Again, between anarchy and absolutely some kind of semblance of peace, my friend, is the church of Jesus Christ. You and I do not understand how powerful our prayers are. We don't understand it. We live in a world today that we judge the success of things by what we can visibly see. Okay, if you win the ball game, buddy, you're an absolute winner. We judge. That's a winning team. The reality is there are a lot of things that are taking place in the heavenlies supernaturally. I'll talk a little bit about that Sunday morning that we don't even know that gives us things that we don't even understand that that right there was a miracle of God, God working in our behalf just because we prayed. Amen? I believe that. Sharing out of 1 Timothy here for a few moments, and we're going to get in and spend about 15 minutes of prayer. Each of you have kind of a prayer uh, guide there because we are going to pray. Uh, doing that, then we're going to have a time of, of just corporate prayer at the end. I'm going to ask you to begin to take your mind and bring it into the room. Those of you that are online with us, uh, allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to your heart as we worship together on this uh, eve of the National Day of Prayer. A, lo- a lot of people believe that, that, <clears throat> that the deciding vote in any election, the deciding vote is found at the ballot box. And okay, that deciding vote placed in the ballot box, and uh, they think, all right, that, that's the thing that really makes the determination of what happens. But the reality is, if you watch very carefully through this message, I want you to know that sometimes you might take a look and say, we put the power in the vote, we put the power in the politician, we put the power in the political party, and we as spiritual individuals overlook the most powerful vote that we have, and it is a vote of action to allow the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer to move and to work. Now, that being said, a cast vote is important. That's why that we say that every person, every citizen, every individual uh, that, that has the opportunity to vote should vote. Here's what I know that often those who have privileges lock into a cocoon and into a comfort zone. And those who are trying to gain privileges are always the ones that show up on time, always the ones willing to fight, always the ones that's there first. And those who have the automatic privileges seem to set back and let the world go as it will. And that's why many times the church as a whole is not heard of. Because even still today, a great majority of individuals who are professing believers never cast a vote at the ballot box. How sad is that? Give that privilege away. But voting is important. Back in 1984, the California Secretary of State uh, compiled this list. Here it is. In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. One vote. 1649, one vote caused Charles I of England to be executed. Just one vote. 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of the German language. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. And we understand, wow. In 1876, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency of the United States. In 1933, one vote, get this, gave Adolf Hitler leadership of the Nazi party. 
1960, one vote change in each precinct in Illinois would have denied John F. Kennedy the presidency of the United States. One vote makes a huge difference. But listen, just that one vote does not dictate the future of America compared to what God desires supernaturally. We are to do everything that we can. You see, God has the power to change the mind of anyone in authority. Benjamin Franklin made this statement in one of the assemblies that he addressed. He said, we're struggling to make heads or tails. He said, we're struggling to find out what the truth is. He says, we're groping as if it were dark in order to find a political truth. And unfortunately, if we found that political truth, we may not even have the ability to recognize it. Why is it, he says, that we have not thought about humbling, calling to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding. In his day, he says, you have a treasure and we fail to acknowledge that treasure. Abraham Lincoln said, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to their own independence upon the overruling power of God. Who is that God? Jehovah, as we know it. And to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proved by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Somebody say amen. Those nations are the one. Ronald Reagan, you heard him just now. He was strong and forceful, though his demeanor was somewhat relaxed, but he was a fighter. And if he didn't have any fight left, Nancy did. I read his Bible, I've read all the history on them. Without God, there is a coarsening of the society. Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. And if we forget that we are one nation under God, we will be one nation gone under. Can you imagine a speech like that being made today in any place of authority? It might take place in the, the day of prayer among, uh, uh, you know, in Washington, that day of prayer every single year, but a person that would stand up as in today's political climate and be that bold, and therein is the problem. We're afraid that God will not show up if we take our stand. God and America go hand in hand. It's our money, our Pledge of Allegiance. It's in public buildings. How can, we, how can we forget that we're supposed to honor God? How can we forget that the gift that God gave to us was, in fact, America? And yet, I want you to notice something carefully. Try this on for size. Is it possible that we put more faith in a politician, in a political party, than we do in God. Is it possible that when someone gets in the seat of the presidency, we say, buddy, things will change now, and we put that responsibility on the shoulders of one man, one person? The reality is God is in control. Amen? God's in control. God is in control. The Old Testament has an interesting story about Israel's experience. They had a referendum. You know that Samuel was old, and I, I've shared this story, but he was old, and they had decided that all the other nations had a physical king seated on a throne. Samuel's boys were wild and woolly and misbehaved and had no religious conviction whatsoever. And that really just opened the door to what was about to take place. And they, of course, appealed to Samuel and appealed. He's old now, the prophet at that moment, and said, we desire a king. And they just kept it up. Their heart, that was their heart. And what they were saying is this, we desire to forsake what we believe to be has been the guiding hand of God 
through a prophet, we desire to forsake that, a direct line with God Jehovah, to come over here and to place our faith in a human being that may be carnally driven, that may sometimes not think straight and place our liberty, our freedom, our supply, our needs on the shoulder of this king and seat him on that throne. And that's what we desire to do. You say, wow, unbelievable. But that's exactly far too often what America has done. It's what the church, try this on Versailles, has allowed an ungodly culture to dictate to us because quite frankly, we have failed to really believe God answers our prayer. God, you must show up. But oh, in times of need, don't we get close to him? This is what the scripture says when Samuel is perturbed about it. God said, listen to all that the people are saying to you, Samuel. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. You would think a shadow of darkness and lifelessness would fall on that nation of people, and that is exactly what happened. For that king that looked good in the beginning was a king that could not maintain the integrity nor the credibility nor the anointing that came in the presence of God Jehovah. They have rejected me. How long do you think they would last? Not very long. And from then, I want you to know, from that time on, one king after another, after another, after another, proved that they were not worthy to lead the nation of God's people. One or two stood up and were great successes, but it was because they leaned upon the very God that the children of Israel had forsaken to put Saul in as king. You see, when you put your faith in a system, you put your faith in anything other than the anointing and the presence and the power of God, you're going to make a mistake. If you put your faith in, in any system, any system, that takes you away from praying and seeking God. There are so many dating sites out there, and God bless them all, I guess, and all that goes along with it. But let me tell you, no site, no nothing, or anything else takes the place of believing and praying and say, God, here is my need, and I'm asking for your will to be done. And if that's your will, you have the ability to provide for me what is good for me and your will. Somebody say amen. It's disastrous to make the mistake to put more faith in the politicians. It's more disastrous to put our faith even in the flag. It's more disastrous for us to put our faith in just a vote. We put our faith in the one who gifted us with the beauty of a free nation. I have a grandson right now, Timmy Kelly's standing there in Bahrain, far from Afghanistan. We pray every day. The military expertise that he's learning, black belts, armament, guns, weaponry, sharpshooter identification, Humvees that are there, all of those things are there to the best of their ability to protect his life as he goes to help protect the freedom of America. But here's what we know. The one hand that will protect him is Jehovah God. The one hand that will guide him is Jehovah God. Here's what we know. We give that up far too often. And we understand that God says, all right, America, there are a few times during the year that you have the privilege. Memorial Day, 
You have the privilege to talk about those who've given their life. July 4th is coming up. You have the privilege to be proud Americans. It's a wonderful privilege that you, that you have to be able to do that. And in those times we exalt. But the reality is what we really need to remember is that we should pray as if the Lord is coming tomorrow for the nation in which we live. It's unbelievable. So here it is. Paul says, here's what I want to tell you in his writings. I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceably and quiet or peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. Do you think that we'll do that? That's First Timothy. Without believing God, without praying, without trusting Him, without acknowledging Him, we will not live in peace unless we have first settled the peace in our own hearts. Gerald Flurry wrote, Prayer is political action. Prayer is social energy. Prayer is public good. Prayer shapes more of our nation's life than is formed by legislation. That we have not collapsed into anarchy is due more to prayer than to the police. Prayer is sustained and intricate action of patriotism in the largest sense of the word, far more precise, loving, and preserving than any patriotism served up in slogans. The single most important action contributing to whatever health and strength there is in our land is prayer. CNN, you know, is going to post that during their news programs, don't you? You know that NBNSSOCC is going to post it. When you know even Fox News, the problem is we are afraid to stand strong in what we believe. And do you think that the devil for one moment is not working day and night to steal away the fabric of our hope and the core values of what we believe? And he will unless somebody prays. And who should pray? It should be the believers. It should be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pray, we declare. You see, we think, okay, that one vote that we cast in the ballot box in that private moment is powerful, and it is. But let me tell you something. The greatest vote that you and I can cast is in the prayer closet as we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's no wonder you've heard it twice now. Here's the third time. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Would you read it with me please? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Before we go to prayer, May 24th of 1940, a half million of Britain and France's soldiers were huddled together, a half million, huddled hopelessly at Dunkirk, waiting for their inevitable death, waiting for their inevitable imprisonment at the hands of Remember, he only became president, dictator of the Nazi party by one vote, but there huddled a half a million waiting at the hands of the Nazi war machine. Afraid, bewildered, the reports as best they could get that no one stood in the way and no life was precious to Hitler and the Nazi war machine. It was at that desperate moment 
Wow. Desperate moment. At that desperate moment that the churches of Britain call for what we call a national day of prayer. But listen carefully to this. It had been suggested during April, this is May now, but the Archbishop of Canterbury had opposed it. Here's why. He said he didn't want to call prayer and that call of prayer be misinterpreted. Does that sound like a political statement to you? He didn't want it to be misinterpreted. I want you to know if we're more bent on being politically correct in a culture where the battle is raging more and more and more, we will lose every time. But with the alarming deterioration of the military, the situation in France, he and many others decided, wow, April now, now it's May, I think, 23rd. We need to pray. Somebody needs to pray. And on May 23rd, April, Canterbury turned that down, Archbishop. But May 23rd, numerous political leaders, newspaper editors, King George VI issued a call for that National Day of Prayer to be held on Sunday, May 26th, six weeks later. No one could have anticipated what was to happen during those uh, days, those three magnificent, momentous days. Just 24 hours, 24 hours after, this is recorded as history, after the call for prayer, it says Adolf Hitler inexplainably ordered his armies to halt and not continue to pressure into France where those British and French soldiers were camped. He called a halt. It was a surprise to many of his own generals. Stop. Two days later, May 26th, the nation gathered to pray. Church attendance skyrocketed like it did here at 9-11, including a large gathering at Westminster Abbey during which people pleaded with the Almighty to spare their husbands and their fathers and their sons at Dunkirk. Former Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain wrote this in his diary. May 26th, bleakest day of all, this was the national day of prayer. But what he did not know, in reality, it turned out to be one of the most dramatic turning points of the war. What he did not realize that you cannot whisper the name of Jesus out of a humble heart in prayer and get nothing. For one name of Jesus mentioned in prayer strikes up a force that blocks the powers of darkness at 7 o'clock that evening. On that evening, a critical order was issued out of their prayer meetings to attempt desperate evacuation of Dunkirk. It says every tiny vessel, every private craft was sent across the treacherous waters of the English Channel with orders to rescue as many men as they could before the arrival of the Germans. Hitler's armies remained largely in place not only on the 24th, they didn't move the 24th, they didn't move the 25th, they didn't move the 26th. History says they didn't move until early June. And to this day, no one in the history says exactly why. The Fuhrer was held or had actually held victory in the palm of his hand, yet he prevented his combat troops from finishing the job and annihilating the half a million soldiers. Some speculated that Hitler didn't want to risk unnecessary losses in the final battle. Others think that Hermann Göring prevailed upon Hitler to let his Luftwaffe 
which is the Air Force, get the credit of destroying the British and French armies. And the dictator, the bloody dictator, who never gave anyone a chance to do anything above his ability, there is no explanation known to man or any military advisor, anyone who have studied this, except one explanation. After their study, after their evaluation, they came to the conclusion that just as the lion's mouth were closed in the lion's den, that the prayers of those people who repented and prayed, God, save our soldiers. Though Hitler, a crazed antichrist spirit, made a decision, we believe, because God struck his heart and said, stop. You stop. The Lord answered the prayer for nine critical days. The Germans were content to shell and bomb Dunkirk from the air from a distance. But meanwhile, here's what happened. On May the 29th, once they got the ships and the little boats, 47,000 of those soldiers were rescued. On May 30th, 53,000 were rescued. On May 31st, 68,000 were rescued. On June 1st, 64,000 were rescued. And all 336,000 men found their way to safety in the British Isles. It's no wonder that individuals such as Ronald Reagan and anyone else who will stand on a principled truth that we not just say, God bless America and its verbiage, that we back up what we say we believe and realize just one prayer, like one vote, can change the formation of history. May that prayer be your prayer. May that prayer be the one that gives the North Korean maniac a change of heart. May that prayer encourage Israel. May that prayer begin to strike the heart of those in ISIS. May that prayer begin to intervene in Syria. May that prayer begin to move in China. May that prayer begin to do what we cannot do. And the greatest prayer of all, as we started out tonight, may that prayer ignite revival in the church. For when the church catches revival, amen, unbelievers will come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. We believe that. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. You have a prayer guide. It's right here. We're going to spend the next uh, 13 to 15 minutes. And the reason I had you stand is just to get you up. The altars are open, the front pews, uh, the balcony up there. There's plenty of room. Or if you just want to be reseated, if you want to kneel down in your, in your seat, if you want to walk, some people walk or pray best walking, we want your best prayer, so strike out. You know, if you want to walk the hallway, just let me encourage you. This is about prayer. Do not forget, you're about to cast the most important vote of all, and it's the vote. God, please, please meet these needs and more, and your own, of course. So music is going to come on. You find a place to pray. Would you do that?
Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand, please? Just welcome to take that list home and do what you please. May this be the beginning of uh, a time of prayer, and uh, it doesn't take a, just a lot if my people, my people, my people, my people, and there's so many challenges there. What I'm going to ask you to do may seem strange or unusual to some of you, but it is biblical. If you have a personal need or a need of a family member, son or daughter that's away, I'd like to take just 15 to 30 seconds and just ask you to call it out just as if you're talking to Jesus. And I know that may be some of you uncomfortable but can I encourage you? The Bible declares to let the voices of the prayers of your people be heard in the sanctuary. Just maybe if we do that, what will do, what will happen is it might release some of you to say, well, I crossed that bridge. And it might strike faith in you. So I'm going to ask you just with our music, and then we're going to conclude with a song just for maybe 30 seconds, whatever you can think of to pray for, just speak it out, okay? doesn't have to be super loud, but loud enough you can hear it in your ear. So let's do that right now. Jesus, Father God, we worship you. We praise you. You hear our voices because we're not ashamed to be able to pray. We declare that this space that we stand in right now is that direct space that's just God and the individual, God. We call on you because we know you have the power to change a situation on somebody's job. You have the ability to draw an unsafe family member and convict them once and for all. And God, cause them to cry out to you. You have the ability, God, to touch the heart of an employer to give an increase in money a raise to an employee someone in this room God you have the power I know to raise the dead we know that you have the power to save every wayward son and daughter and grandson or daughter you have the ability to create circumstances that cause people to just bow their heart and their knee but Lord we would love to bow just simply out of adoration to you but we know that there are times in which, God, you need to put us in a situation that causes, like you did in the French armies that were there, in Britain's armies, the church got together and they prayed, God. And it wasn't a particular denomination. It was everybody praying together, believing together, trusting together. I pray for revival for Victory Church. I pray, Father, in your name that you would begin to stir in the heart of this one or that one or the other one or several individuals, God. But revival starts out of the heart of the people. It doesn't start in the pulpit. It starts in the pew, God. We ask you for divine revelation and divine anointing in the name of the Lord. God, we do not want to be complainers or murmurers about what we don't have, about the trouble that we see, about the difficulty of our culture and our nation. God, we don't want to complain or murmur more than we lift those prayers up and believe by faith, God, that what I see in the midst of darkness, one day I'm going to see a revival come and deliverance is going to take place, God. I don't want to talk about the evils of the world. I want to talk about what you can do do when we believe as we humble ourselves. God, I pray in this room tonight that there be those that will go home and when they awaken tomorrow morning, a different spirit, a, a different touch of God will be more real. And then give them a day all day long tomorrow that you're rewarding them for their time here spent in prayer, Jesus. We are looking for miracles and we are believing in those. And most importantly, we thank you, Jesus, for coming down and touching us. We thank you for being in our presence. We thank you for letting us be in your presence. 
We thank you for the sweet voice and the whisper of your Holy Spirit. And we're grateful that that hand of healing that can touch a fevered brow and cool it off. God, I pray for those in our own church in this room tonight. Janet Retzel had to leave early. She did her best to be here. But God, she had to leave because of just needing a touch of God. Victoria's here. God, give her a touch. Others that need the divine touch. God, here's what we know. You can do that right now. Hallelujah. You can do it right now, Jesus. Right now. We stand on your word and we claim your promises and your victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Here we go. I'm going to sing a song. You can sing until you get ready to go. Here we are. Is our God. I love you, everybody. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. How great is our God. And how great. one more time for the Lord.